so you go somewhere new and uh, you meet some new people and they ask you, uh, who are you? Where are you from? Well, what do you say? Uh, yesterday, 10 of us from St. Bridget's went to the annual Church Mission Society conference and had an inspiring time hearing about the ministries of brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia working hard to tell the good news about Jesus and to live it out in their local communities. And I got that a few times, that people I've never met leaning over and asking where I'm from. Uh, so I said, well, my mother originally. Um, but then I said, I'm Jacob. I'm from Glengormley. That's really only the bare basics. I could add to that, couldn't I? I'm originally from Hertfordshire in England, but most recently I was living in London. Now I'm the minister at St. Bridget's in Glengormley, and on it goes. We've all got our own equivalents. But last week we thought about a simple phrase that gives us a whole new understanding of who we are and where we're from. And it's there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world. So you might have lived in Glengormley all your life, but if you're one of God's elect, you are a stranger in this world. Your true citizenship, your forever home, is with our Lord Jesus Christ in the new world to come. And we also heard that God's elect are those who have been born again. We all have a biological father, but being born again means now God is our father and we are his children. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Where am I from? I'm from his kingdom and I'm a stranger in this world. Now, why isn't that what I say when someone says, who are you, where are you from? Okay, well, first of all, that might be quite an intense response to someone's question. Um, but also, I think I don't say that about myself because it feels like there's kind of a lot of life to get through, a lot of trials and challenges to face before I go home and experience for the first time the place I'm really from. It's a long way to go still. And we thought about that last week. In chapter 1, verse 6, Peter says, Yes, we greatly rejoice in who we really are and where we're really from. But now for a little while, he says, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I just often don't feel the reality of being God's child. But even so, it's true. That is who I am. His kingdom is where I'm from. And actually, I need to keep that at the forefront of my mind if I'm gonna make it through all those trials and enter into the salvation God has ready and waiting for me. And that's what this week's passage is all about, how to get to the place where we're going. This is the second in a series of sermons taking us through the whole letter of 1 Peter. The series started last week, so if you missed that, you um, do go on our website or YouTube channel uh, and catch up. And we're thinking now about how to get to the place where we're going. How to live in this gap between uh, the day we're born again and the day either we die or Jesus returns. And we're going to look at the passage in three parts that remind us to look forward, look up and look around. Look forward to the return of Jesus. Look up to our Holy Father and Judge, and look around at one another with brotherly love. 
So first of all, look forward. This is verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, as elect strangers in the world, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You cannot be a complacent Christian. Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Your mind will be like a battlefield. You've got to be self-controlled so that you can set your hope fully on that future day. The way to successfully come through all the trials and temptations around us is to have the prize firmly in mind. Jesus will be revealed in his glory, and when he comes, grace will be given to you. Grace here means all the undeserved but rich blessings of God stored up for you. Things that cannot be ours till then, but will be when he returns. We fix our minds on that day because in this world we are strangers. Our hope is not in anything in this life. But our minds must be ready for action because if we let other smaller, nearer hopes become our focus, we'll start to go native and revert back to our old lives, how it works. When the hope that drives you, right, when the hope you're fixed on is the hope of getting promoted or getting married or getting grandchildren, or just the hope of the next holiday or the next episode of your favorite TV show, well then you, you become so short-sighted that you start living only for this world. The way to avoid the trials of this world getting you down the, or the pleasures of this world enslaving you is to look forward, all the way forward to the day of Jesus and let that hope put everything else in perspective. If you don't look forward, you won't survive. In 1985, two men, Joe Simpson and uh, Simon Yates, successfully ascended the unclimbed, previously unclimbed west face of an enormous mountain in Peru called Siula Grand. But on the way down, Joe Simpson slipped off a ledge while he was attached to Simon Yates. The only way Yates could save himself was to cut Simpson's rope and let him fall 150 feet to the ice below. So he cut the rope. And Simpson fell into a deep crevice. Yates looked and looked for him desperately once he'd got down and he called, but he got no answer. So he gave him up for dead and he moved on. But Simpson survived the fall Alone in the freezing dark, his only chance of rescue is if he can get back to base camp before Simon Yates leaves the mountain. Otherwise, he certainly will die. But in the fall, he broke his leg. He can barely move, but he doesn't give up. He fixes his hope on the salvation to come if he can make it back to camp. And so he begins to drag himself through the crevice. He's got no water. He's got frostbite, he's severely dehydrated and delirious, but he hauls himself across the ice, dragging his leg inch by inch for three days. He managed to reach his tent just a few hours 
before Yates was scheduled to leave. And so he was successfully evacuated to Lima Hospital and he survived. Now he could have given up, but he prepared his mind for action. He was extremely self-controlled and he set his hope fully on reaching his destination. And we must do the same, no distractions, total focus. Through all the griefs and trials and struggles and dark days, set your hope fully on that day when Jesus will return and you will enter into your salvation. We're strangers in this world, so we look forward. That was verse 13. And we are God's elect, so look up. Look up to God. This is verses 14 to 21. And the reason to look up to God is to remind us to be like him. To be like him. As we look up, Peter focuses our attention on three things about God. First, God is holy. Second, God is an impartial judge. And third, God redeemed us at great cost. Firstly then, God is holy. Look with me at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We all have um, strong desires within us that have the power to deform us and make us evil. But we have become God's children. And like father, like son, God wants his children to be like him, holy. That means set apart from the common things of the world to serve a special purpose for God. We're not to get involved with the old desires or habits or longings and dreams we used to have. But sometimes I wonder, I feel this a lot, I wonder if I'm missing out on something by being a Christian. I wonder what life would be like if I still lived according to my old desires. But that's not who I am anymore. The holy God is my father, and now I live for him. He's my desire, and I want that desire to shape me. Secondly, God is an impartial judge. Um, for a while, when I was younger, my mum did some care work. Um, she helped a lovely lady called Lillian, who was struggling with the onset of dementia. So after school, I went to childminders. Uh, and she had a son who would um, break her rules and get us all into trouble. But he knew that because he was her son, you know, while we all got into trouble, he'd, he'd be let off. You know, really annoying. But God's not, you see, God's not like my childminder. He isn't harsh with his enemies, but lenient with his children. It's the same standard for everyone. Look with me at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Sometimes as Christians, it's tempting to think that because we're forgiven, now our sins are somehow sort of more excusable. It's almost as if because God's on our side, you know, we can sort of allow ourselves a bit of sin. But Peter reminds us that God's impartial. That means sin is sin. And so even though God is our loving Father, we must nevertheless also live in awe of him, in reverent fear. In other words, let him scare you enough to remind you that he's good, that sin is evil, and there's no excuse for it even if he will forgive us. 
And thirdly, God redeemed us at a great cost. One of the great causes of godly living is to remind ourselves how much it costs God to rescue us from our slavery to sin. So he says in verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God paid with the blood of his precious son to rescue us. It, God cost, it cost God so much, that much, to rescue us from our sins. Knowing that, you can't so easily just go back and indulge in them. Uh, that reference to a lamb without blemish or defect uh, points back to our first reading, to the spotless lamb without defect at Passover, whose blood not only saved Israel from death, but also enabled them to escape from Egypt. In the same way, Jesus' blood not only saves us from death, but also enables us to escape from our futile, dead-end way of life. So let's not go back to it. And it doesn't matter what age we are, we all have that struggle between our old desires, the desires, if you like, of our natural selves, and the new desires planted in us by the Holy Spirit. So to make it all the way to where we're going, don't look back to your old ways Look up to God. Remember that he's holy. He's an impartial judge and he paid with the blood of his son to set you free from sin. That was verses 14 to 21. And now finally, verses 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. Look around. Look around. What will our lives look like when we remember God's holiness, his impartiality and the price he paid to redeem us? They will look like love. Look around at one another with love. There is a version of, of Christianity which sees it as a sort of private set of beliefs. It's between me and God and I just keep it on the inside. But if we're among God's elect, then actually we belong to God's family. Not only is he our father, but we are brothers and sisters of one another. You are my brothers and sisters. You're not my congregation or the people who turn up. You're my brothers and sisters. Being holy like God, turning our back on our old evil and empty way of life means turning towards love. Have a look with me at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. How are we to make it all the way to the world to come? Well, look forward, look up and look around love one another not just a bit not just on Sundays not if you have to no Peter says love one another deeply from the heart you know, we're all facing trials and struggles more or less the last thing we need is for our own Christian brothers and sisters to be indifferent to them and what a difference it makes when we're all supporting and encouraging one another with deep deep love so look out for the people around you. Uh, who needs that love in here right now? And ask yourself, how can you better show love to each other? You might just start with talking to someone you don't normally talk to. 
Sometimes I find it you know, a bit awkward if I've always been in the same place as somebody week by week, but I've never actually talked to them. There's that this sort of invisible barrier. You think, oh, it'd be awkward to start now. Just break through that barrier. Let's show some love. Um, there might be somebody uh, you could do uh, that to after coffee. Just go and say hello. Uh, after the service at coffee, say hello. Um, if they're not the person you normally speak to. And let that love that we should have for one another develop into real and ongoing care for each other. There's great care, great love in this church, but let's make sure everyone is included in it. And the reason Peter gives for this is not only that we have been born again into our church family, but because we've been born into an everlasting family. We're gonna be with one another forever. Our relationships with one another, these aren't temporary acquaintances. They're the start of eternal friendships. Have a look at verse 23 with me. Uh, why should we love one another deeply? He, Peter says, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And what's he saying? He's talking about three kinds of seeds. Grass seed, the seed that's planted in a woman when a baby's conceived, and the word of God. Three seeds. And he says human seed and grass seed are the same. All people are like grass in the end, both wither and fade. They're born of perishable seed, he calls it. But that quotation from Isaiah contrasts the perishable seed we were born with to the imperishable word of God. It says the word of the Lord, in contrast, stands forever. God's word is like a solid rock. It lasts and lasts. No one can overrule it or prevent it from taking effect. It doesn't expire or run out of power. It stands forever. The word of God is his decree by which he does the things he plans to do. And God cannot be stopped. And then Peter says, and this word is the seed by which you were born again. The biological seed you were born of gave you perishable life. But when you are born again by the seed of God's word, when it was preached to you and got planted in your heart, well then that seed gave you undefeatable, imperishable life. Because it's life that ultimately flows from God himself. It's generated by his word. And that's why God is our father now. We are born from his imperishable word. And so we have imperishable life. We belong to an eternal family. That's what preaching the good news about Jesus, the word, that's what it achieves. It takes frail human beings who get old and ill and die, and it plants in us a seed of eternal life that will burst into flower at the resurrection. And we will be together forever. So chapter two, verse one, rid yourselves therefore of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. All those things that aren't love. Let's not have any destructive behavior among ourselves. Let's learn to love deeply. 
Peter goes on to say, when you're born again, you're like a, a spiritual baby. Just like babies need pure milk, so do we. You see that in verse two of chapter two, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Babies need pure milk, spiritual babies. People have been born again. People like us need pure spiritual milk. Now, when you're feeding a baby, you don't mix engine oil or salt or vodka into the baby's milk. In the same way, don't mix gossip or lies or harsh words or bad intentions in with love. Crave pure spiritual milk. Crave a pure life, a life of pure love. And as we do, we will become more and more who we already are. We are children of God and brothers and sisters of every other believer in this room. So, how do we keep going as God's elect strangers all the way until we die or Jesus returns? Look forward. Look up. And look around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through your imperishable word that lasts forever, we've been born again into eternal life. We are your elect children, but we live as strangers in this world. So by the power of your spirit, help us to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed when Jesus returns. Help us to look up to you and remember you are holy, you are our judge, and that you brought us at great cost. And then help us to look around and to love and care for one another day by day. And we ask it for your glory and our good. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.